Well, we're going to take our Bibles and let's turn to Romans chapter number 2 tonight. Romans chapter number 2. I know we've uh, looked at some of Romans chapter number 1 and we uh, did some other things and we came and looked at Romans chapter number 12. Well, I want to come back and look at Romans chapter number 2 for a little bit and and uh, at least this week and next week and, and take a look at a couple of things on God's principles of judgment. Uh, we'll do part one uh, here, first 16 verses here, uh, and uh, then we'll come back and take a look at some of the other of it. Let's, let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 2, verse number 1 through 16. Therefore thou art excusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgeth them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and his and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them which are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, peace, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. We'll leave off reading there. We won't get that far tonight. But uh, as we begin Romans 2 tonight, uh, we must look back at the end of Romans chapter 1 because of that very first word in chapter 2, therefore. Anytime you see a therefore or a wherefore, you need to back up and see what it's there for. That is a, uh, one of the rules of Bible interpretation. Anytime you see it, I mean, don't... Don't say, okay, well, this is chapter 2 and it got nothing to do with chapter 1. The chapter divisions were put in later, okay, not, not when the Bible was written. And that, therefore, is referring uh, backward to some of the things that were written in chapter number 1, and specifically Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. And I'm not going to get into the details of this, but we know Romans 1, verses 18 to 32 speaks of the downward spiral of mankind into deep, the deep darkness of sin. I mean, when you read that, you, you come to find out that man's poor choices culminates in God giving man up to man's own uncleanness, there in verse 24. 
And then God giving man up unto man's own vile affections in verse 26. And ultimately, God giving man over to a reprobate mind in verse number 28. Now, the importance of this is if we could be in a group of Jews in Paul's day, understand the Jews and Gentiles have been brought together in one body, the church. All right? Uh, before the Jews were used to looking at the Gentiles like just a bunch of dogs. They, they, just, they just did. And if we, we could get the mindset here, and we might understand not only the Jews' mindset regarding Gentiles, but also their elevated mindset of themselves compared to the Gentiles. They saw the Gentiles as sinners. In fact, I can just imagine with the Romans being read in the congregation, if it was a mixture of congregation of Jews and Gentiles, you know, there was probably some snickering going on while chapter 1 was being read uh, of uh, the, uh, the Jews uh, knowing that uh, the, these earlier verses are talking about the Gentiles. They would, they would be, you know, yeah, that's speaking to them, those old dirty, stinking, rotten, filthy Gentiles. That's what that's speaking of. And Paul in chapter number 2 is like, wait a minute, <laughs> don't go so fast. Now Paul was a Jew, so Paul knew how the Jews' mindset was. And uh, he was saying, uh, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for when, wherein thou judgest another, there in verse number 1 of chapter 2, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. Uh, the, the design... Uh, uh, of this and the following chapter, chapter number 3, was to show the Jews that they were no less guilty before God than the Gentiles. They were equally guilty, and they, they were in the need of the same salvation that's only found through Jesus Christ. The Jews were not going to get in on, based on their own personal righteousness. They weren't going to get in based upon their, uh, the, the law, them being the holders of the law, keepers of the law. You know, that's, that's the only way that they kept the law was they had it in their hands. They didn't keep it and that they obeyed it. You know, you've got to obey it to be not guilty. But they were guilty. And he, he's getting them to understand their guilt before God. And Paul did this by showing that the Jews had a greater light than the Gentiles. And, and yet they did some of the same things the Gentiles did. You know, to, to whom much is given, much shall be required. Uh, that applies not only in a, in a believer's life, it also applies in the matter of the gospel. If you have a light that's been given to you and you respond the wrong way to it, God's not obligated to give you further light. Yeah? If you've been given a lot of light and you refuse it, uh, that's not good. And, and the Jews had, had been given light, the light from God. And... Uh, the Jews had greater light than the Gentiles did, and yet they did some of the same things the Gentiles did. shouldn't have been that way. Uh, the Jews were in the habit of accusing and condemning the Gentiles as wicked and abandoned, while they excused themselves on the ground that they possessed the law and the oracles of God and were God's favored chosen people. You know, we're, you know, God looks down on us because we're His chosen people. And the apostle uh, here affirms that they were inexcusable in their sins and that they must be condemned in the sight of God on the same ground on which they condemned the Gentiles. That is, 
that they had light and yet committed wickedness while holding back or suppressing the truth in their lives. Look back at Romans 1, verse number 18 for just a minute, and you will see that this is how this section begins, a section talking about man's downward spiral. So for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, notice this, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth, you got the truth, but you continue to do unrighteousness. You hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's what that's talking about. Um, so, um, in the, if, the, if the Gentiles were without excuse in their sins, uh, and we, we find that they were without excuse in Romans 1, verse number 20, so for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They, in other words, they refused the light that was given in creation. Well, uh, what light did the Jews refuse? They refused God's light that was given in the law. Yeah, They, they, they were law, lawbreakers. And so... In chapter 2 here, the Apostle Paul reveals to us the principles of God's judgment. And that's what we want to look at tonight. And understand that what is presented in this chapter is not the principles, they're the principles of judgment, not the way of salvation. Okay, And we'll explain this as we go through this. The principles of judgment. First thing we want to see is found in verse number 2. And that is, the judgment of God is according to truth. Verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. In other words, um, nobody's going to say, well, God got it wrong. No. If if you're a sinner, God got it right. (laughs) If He calls you a sinner. Uh, Acts 17, verse 31 uh, Paul told uh, a group of Gentiles, he said, because, talking about God, said, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, talking about Jesus, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Uh, God's going to judge everyone. I'm glad that my sins have been judged in Jesus Christ, aren't you? Yeah, what a blessing! And and but I, uh, we, we need to understand uh, as we deal with folks uh, the the the, uh, the arguments that people use and how uh, those arguments are, are dead. You know, they're 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 not not uh, not good arguments at all. Um, God's judgment stands in contrast to man's judgment. Okay. Um, we see that we, we in verse number one we see man's judgment. Thou for thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. Uh, now the the people that are judging others, do they have God's mind, or do they have just a mind of a, a sinner themselves? They got a mind of a sinner, don't they? And uh, you know, and, um, we, thou art you judge. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judges doest the same things. And, but we are sure that judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Now, now listen, God's standard is higher than man's standard. God's standard is higher than man's standard. God has all of the facts while man doesn't. Men judge based on partial knowledge while God is omniscient. Not, God's not going to miss anything. 
You know, if there's if there's guilt to be found, God sees it. Yeah, you know? um, we we can't know the secrets of men's hearts. A lot of times we act like we do. Well, I know what she's thinking. She thinks this. Well, really, you don't know what she's thinking. You know, you may think you know what she's thinking, but you don't really know what she's thinking because you can't read read minds. But God knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what each of us think. Uh, he knows all of our thoughts. We're not hiding anything from Him. God's judgment is full, while man's judgment is partial. When God judges, He's got it all. He's got there, there's nothing that's withheld. He knows He knows everything. He knows it all. God's judgment is impartial, while man's judgment is often prejudiced. Now, see, the Jews were prejudiced against the Gentiles. You know, they didn't have a problem judging the Gentiles and judging their sin because they were prejudiced against them. They didn't really... In fact, they, they had a hard time with this concept of the Jew and Gentile in one church. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but nevertheless, God made us one in Christ Jesus. Um, now, understand that the privileges and position of the cultured and refined sinner do not afford a means of escape from divine judgment. Uh, look at verse 3 here. He says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Oh, yeah, you look at, the, you look at some segment of the population of this world as, well, yeah, those are heathen, those are wicked, those are, those are just vile, and, and well, you know, we make judgments, uh, but are we some of those things in our own hearts and minds at times? Uh, in fact, listen, the great delusion of the cultured person is that he believes that the depraved person must be judged while he is confident that he will escape judgment because he is somehow different. Yeah? But that's not true. It doesn't matter whether you're a cultured sinner <laughs> or you're a, uh, a heathen sinner uh, that's uncultured, unrefined. Cultured and refined versus uncultured and unrefined. Most men uh, believe that Hitler, and folks like Hitler and Stalin and Osama bin Laden and folks like them should be judged, but they themselves should escape. I guarantee you there's a lot of folks that don't know the Lord. If you were to ask him, uh, you think the, these, these folks deserve uh, judgment? Boy, they would be all in on that. Well, what about yourself? Well, no, you know, I'm, not, I'm not anywhere near like them. Um, but listen, God will judge men as they are in His sight. That's how He's going to judge them. Uh, many have been spoiled by the ways of escape in this life that do not apply to God's judgment. Remember, God's judgment is according to truth. That's what we're looking at. Now think about, think about judgment in our day and time. Okay? Um, sometimes the offender may never be discovered. Right? We see the, you see the programs that come on all the time. Uh, they're talking about an old case. That they're, they're unsolved mysteries, unsolved cases that they're trying to, to, to come up with new evidence or somebody that knows something to try to solve a case. That person has gotten maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road and, and seemingly gotten off. They may, may never be discovered. There are some people who have been 
uh, uh, criminals and done things that it was never found out that they were the ones that did it. So, so the offender may never be discovered. Can I tell you that God discovers it all? Nothing escapes his discovery. Um, a number two thing, the, the offender may escape beyond the jurisdiction of the court. Um, this is uh, prevalent in the tax world. You know, people try to evade taxes and they, they uh, do that by escaping to another country uh, that um, does not have extradition treaties to with the United States. And they escape beyond the jurisdiction of the court. But listen, you can't escape beyond God's jurisdiction. It all belongs to Him. He's going to judge all. There's no one outside of His jurisdiction. Uh, another thing is the offender may be successful in buying his way out. And sadly, this is true. Sometimes, uh, sometimes justice can be bribed. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. You know, we, can't, we may like to think that it doesn't happen, but uh, I believe that there's a lot of folks that uh, have escaped justice because of money being paid, being paid off. A fourth thing is the offender may successfully hide the truth of his guilt. Uh, may, uh, the, maybe he's destroyed the evidence. Uh, I don't know how, how many ways that you can uh, successfully hide the truth, but you don't tell the truth, and you, uh, the evidence doesn't come up against you, and you may be successful in that, and, and the law not be able to reach you. Well, that's not going to be true in the case of what God does. God knows the truth of man's guilt. A fifth thing is the offender may be released on a legal technicality. Now, this is a big thing in our day, right? You've got to read somebody their Miranda rights. And if you don't dot your I's and cross your T's on the Miranda rights, they will, uh, they'll get, get, get out on a technicality. Or maybe uh, you'll have a, a U.S. president that it just it takes a whole bunch of folks uh, like um, people that were caught with marijuana and says, well, you're no longer guilty. That happened this past week, didn't it? Sure did. Yeah. And if you had a, a conviction, um, that conviction is no longer there if it's on the federal level. And uh, you, you, you're not going to to have that with the Lord. You're not going to be, there's no such thing as a technicality that you're going to get out on. Um, a sixth thing is the offender may appeal to a higher court to overturn his verdict. Seems like, the, seems like those appeals are endless, doesn't it? I mean, when it takes 10 years or more for someone who's been sentenced to die by a lethal injection uh, it takes more than 10 years to get through the processes of all the appeals and all. Something's wrong in it. And we'll read a verse here in a minute uh, uh, that, that speaks to that. And I think that's why we see so many uh, people, they're not scared of the death penalty. You know, used to, death penalty meant you were going to die. They give you the death penalty, you go out, put a rope over the tree, <laughs> and you hang you high. Uh, right then and there. And uh, that, that knowledge right there would keep you from wanting to do anything wrong, would it? It just it would. But now you can uh, get down the road and 
and uh, it seems like they never are going to be brought to justice. And a lot of times they'll have the uh, the death penalty will be taken off the table, and they'll say, "Well, you know, it's unconstitutional, or this, or that, or the other." They'll 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 yank it out there, and so they the the verdict that was given originally uh, is not the verdict that they are judged by. But listen, there's no higher court. There's no um, nowhere that the offender can escape from his punishment. Okay. Here, um, people can get busted out of prison even even now. I know it's a lot tougher than the old days. Uh, used to, they just put a um, put a rope around the the jail bars and and uh, take the horses and get them going out going out fast and jerk the wall down of the of the jail. That's what we see on the westerns, right? But uh, it, it's not that way. Now they pull helicopters in, you know, and, and they do all kinds of stuff for it. And they, they ride out in a laundry, laundry truck or something like that. Uh, anyway, they, they find a way to escape punishment. They find a way to get off. And, uh, um, but that's not the way that God's uh, punishment is. No man can get uh, escape punishment. None of these avenues are open when it comes to divine judgment. There's no escaping the guilt. There's no jurisdictional problem. There are no bribes. Nothing will be hidden. There will be no technicalities, no appeals, no unjust sentences, and there is no escape. Plain and simple. God's judgment is according to truth. A man is foolish to think that he will escape the judgment of God for his sins. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. And, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Are you really that foolish to think that, that they're going to be judged and you're not? You're, you're a sinner like they are and, you're, and you think you're going to get off somehow? You're foolish to think that you're going to escape the judgment of God. It's, it's kind of like the... It just uh, It's amazing to me Somebody can that thinks, uh, well, I just say there is no God, and that somehow that gets you off. You know, there, there's no uh, there's no God that I'm going to answer to. Well, you're going to answer to him. You know, you might not answer to him right now, but you are going to answer to him. Um, a man is foolish to think that there is no God, and a man is foolish to think that he will escape the judgment of God for his sins. Um, and then. Uh, uh, I want us to take a look at verse 4 and 5 here. Uh, man abuses God's goodness, which is shown in, in, delay, in God delaying His judgment. You know, there's people that have done some pretty bad stuff that they haven't been judged by God yet. God's good, isn't He? Giving them a time to repent? Think about it. Look, look at verse five, 4 and 5. Or despisest thou the riches, notice, the riches of his goodness. You know, for, for you not to be immediately judged, well, that's rich, isn't it? <laughs> the, 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 the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, God puts up with things. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, unrepentant is what that means, you not, not repent, you won't turn, 
your heart's heart hard there, your heart's hard and you will not repent. When you do that against God's goodness, it says, look what it says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, every time that God is good to you and put your, put your guilt off, uh, he's uh, put your judgment, I should say, off, put your judgment off and he continues to be good to you, lets you live another day and breathe his air and drink his water and, and he doesn't throw you in a hell fire uh, and you just uh, you, 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 you say no to God. Well, that just adds to, it's, it's like throwing, up, throwing in a bank, you know, the additional amount you're going to be judged. Yeah. That's what he, he says. You treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. Now, man abuses God's goodness, which is shown in God delaying His judgments. What we're looking at here. One way that people despise or abuse the goodness of God is by inferring that God does not intend to punish sin. You ever a good example of this? You ever seen somebody or heard of somebody that? Got it, you know, they didn't believe in God and they were trying to, trying to be the big shot and show how God wasn't going to judge them. And they'd curse God, stand up in an in a aluminum boat and hold up a one-iron uh, golf club uh, during the thunderstorm and God didn't strike them dead. And they would say, you know, see, I told you God doesn't exist. What they didn't see is that God not striking them dead gave them another chance to repent. And that their, their, their hardness and impenitent heart uh, uh, did, it's not showing uh, that God uh, is not going to punish them. It, it just shows how good God is to them. They have in their mind that they may sin with impunity. They say, look, you know, I sin. You know, I live it up. You know, in fact, they may, they may laugh in your face and say, you know, you go... You goody two-shoe, you go to go to church and you spend your time going there and you serve God and you do this and that and that other and, and boy, you waste your time and, and I'm out living it up. I mean, look at me. God, there's nothing bad happening to me. Well, it's only because God's good to you. Right? It's only because God's good. You're not going to sin with impunity forever. Instead of turning from sin, and that's repentance is what that is, they usually go on and committing it more constantly as if they were safe. Um, Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's, God's a good God. He wants folks to, ref- to repent, but people refuse to repent. Look, look at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. In verse number 11, this is a verse I referred to a little while ago uh, when <clears throat> um, people have their sentences uh, put off, it uh, seems endlessly, and uh, this speaks to that very thing. And, you know, because God doesn't judge sin when sin happens, uh, this is true also. Look at verse 11. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men 
it's fully set in them to do evil. What that means is, God's not going to judge me. Well, well let's, let's live it up. Yeah? Let's live it up. Let, let, let's do more sin. Look at verse 12. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days. In other words, God's got a, God's got a day and time. It's appointed unto men once to die, right? After this judgment, that's what Hebrews says. That's what it's talking about. He, you're not going to prolong your days. God knows how many days that you can allow you to live. So, we, Which are as a shadow. It's brief, really. You think about how brief your life is. Yeah. Because he, fe- he feareth not before God. Um, listen, uh, compare this with the swift judgment that is going to be in effect during Christ's millennial kingdom. You know, g- g- Christ is going to judge. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to know it all. Uh, he's going to. Uh, uh, it's going to be a different type of judgment that we see today. Uh, and uh, the reason why God's goodness and forbearance should lead people to repentance is shown in several different ways. Number one, listen. God's goodness and forbearance shows the evil of transgression when it is seen to be committed against so kind and merciful a being as God. Think about it. Think about who you... You're, you're sinning against one that's being good and putting off his wrath against you. <laughs> that shows how evil that men can be. Number two, God's goodness and forbearance is suited to melt and soften the heart. That's what we read there in the passage at, uh, God intends for it no, not that knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's the purpose of it. It's, it's to lead you to repentance. Judgments often harden the sinner's heart and make him obstinate, right? Um, but if while a man does evil, God is constantly doing him good, if, if the patience of God is seen from year to year while the man is rebellious, it should be of such nature as to melt and subdue the heart. Uh, and he said, you know, God sure is good to me when I've been terrible to Him. A third thing here is the, the great mercy of God, which is shown by God's goodness and forbearance, appears to some people to be overwhelming. And so it should to anyone who will stop and consider it as it is. I mean, God, God bears with people. Think about God bearing with you from the point that you got born to the point you got saved. Okay? Think about the opportunities there that God could just took you out when you knew that you were a sinner. I, I think about it. <laughs> In fact, I, you know, I think about one of the last times when I thought I was going to die uh, sitting in the back of a, I think it was a 19, 1970 Plymouth Roadrunner, yellow. Yeah, my my uh, best friend's brother's car. He and I were in the back seat. His brother was in the car. And somebody challenged his brother. And he hid the speedometer on that thing. And I thought, 
Here we go. This is it. <laughs> this is it. And that was right before I got saved. What did you think about? You know, um, God bears with people from childhood to youth, from youth to manhood, from manhood to even to some with old age. Some people get saved way on up in age. Brother um, um, Doug's dad. Y'all remember that Brother Doug's dad got saved. He was he was in his eighties, and he was nine days before he passed. Nine days. Was God good to him and let him live? Oh, most certainly, most certainly. Um, listen, often while they violate God's law and show contempt for His mercy and profane His name, and and still, notwithstanding all this, His anger is turned away, and the sinner lives. Th- think about that. You know, they they continue to violate God's law, and God continues to be good to them. If there's anything that should affect the heart of man, it is this: when he is brought to see it and contemplate it. It rushes over the soul and overwhelms it with bitter sorrow. And a good example in Scripture of that is the Apostle Paul. I mean, you think about how, how wicked he was before he got saved. And then he saw, he literally saw the light, and then he didn't, right? <laughs> he saw the light and it blinded him, and uh, he came face to face with Jesus. And uh, when you see him later, you don't see somebody that is um, arrogant about his past life. I mean, he's not even arrogant about his present life. He, he realizes that he lives because of Christ. Christ lives in him. And apart from that, he didn't have nothing. doesn't have anything. And we'd be good, good, doing good to do the same thing. Realize that the only reason we live is because Jesus lives. Yeah? His resurrection and His giving us eternal life. Man, they all just rush over you of how good God has been to you up to this point in your life, especially up to the point that you got saved. And here's the last thing. The, the mercy and forbearance of God are constant. Think about that. The mercy and forbearance of God. The manifestations of God's goodness come in every form. The sun comes up in the morning. We have light. The air we breathe. The rain. The stream. The dew drop. Food. Raiment. A home. Friends. Liberty. Protection. Health. Peace. And in the gospel of Christ. Especially. And the the offers of life. Think about we got the gospel of Christ and the the offer to have eternal life through Christ, and we, we trusted Christ. But we had that offer before we came to Christ. You know, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, in all these ways, God is appealing to His creatures each moment and setting before them the evils of ingratitude and beseeching them to turn and live. And if we don't, and the, when they don't turn and live, they're just treasuring up. Treasuring up judgment. 
to continue to neglect the goodness of God will result in untold tragedy in a person's life. When man sins in the face of God's goodness in their lives, they are literally treasuring up wrath that will one day break forth in their lives if they don't get saved. I want you to turn one last place. David was disturbed about this very thing of the prosperity of the wicked. You know, seeing a, seeing a man sin and seemingly get by with it. Psalm 73. Look at Psalm 73. The prosperity of the wicked disturbed David at first and then he understood that they will be judged. It was actually Psalm of Asaph. Asaph. But the psalmist here. Look at uh, verse number 1. This is a psalm of Asaph. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness and have more than, than heart could wish. They are corrupt, speak wickedly concerning oppression, and they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and they, their, uh, their tongue walketh through the earth. Yeah, we, we see people like this all the time on TV, don't we? We do. And there are a lot of them in politics. I mean, they just are. Verse 10. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of the full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every, every morning. If I say I will, thus, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one waketh, so, O Lord, when thou wakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. My God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. And to be disturbed at first, but when you understand when judgment comes, how it's going to fall. It's, uh, 
kind of kind of uh, eye-opening, isn't it? God's judgment is righteous. It's just. It's holy and good to the same degree that His grace is. His judgment is not vindictive or arbitrary, but it's fair and infallible. Thank God Jesus took our judgment for us. Amen. And uh, we, it's only by God's grace that we're saved. And let's keep that in mind. God's principles of judgment. We'll come back and take a look at uh, the, the verses that we did not cover. Lord willing, on next, on next Sunday evening. Okay? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we just thank you tonight for those who have come out. And uh, Lord, we, we just ask that you would, uh, Lord, help us to see what a gracious God that you are continually. I know we know, but a lot of times we're prone to forget. We see wickedness around us happening and people seem like uh, sinning without retribution. Uh, but a lot of times we forget that the retribution is coming. It is on the horizon. And Lord, uh, we were like that one day. But for Your grace, we could be there. But for Your grace, we could be still in our sin. Help us to keep that in mind and to share the gospel of, of Christ with folks that need it. We pray in Jesus' name.